Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Prom party. Where the hell have you been, Loka? <laughs> BJ. Mm-hmm. I did not have a good time for more than two hours. I'm sorry that you feel that way. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so just to put this on Front Street, if it's not obvious... We were very kind to the first Twilight movie, mm-hmm. and this month we are doing nothing but sequels, mm-hmm. and we're kicking it off with arguably the biggest sequel of the bunch. Oh yeah, easily. Like, at least in terms of like a cultural phenomenon, and um, yikes. Like, <laughs> pardon my French, but woof. <laughs> Yeah, so we are doing a whole month of sequels, and there was no other choice than to kick it off with Twilight New Moon. And like Harmony said, we spent a lot of time on our OG Twilight episode, kind of coming to the defense of Twihards, what it means from a cultural standpoint, all of that like wonderful, nuanced discussion about why it's you know kind of not cool to shit on this movie and how the, you know the Twilight movies were used as a vehicle to excuse people's misogyny. We already had that talk. Yeah. Uh, kid gloves are off. We were we were very fair to Twilight One because we defended the phenomenon and the taste of girls. Correct. The movie is. Fine, mm-hmm. but God damn it, if it does not look like Orson Welles compared to New Moon. <laughs> yeah, so we're in Twilight New Moon. Uh, it is a whole new day, and we are not going to be nearly as kind. I'm at least going to have fun because I think, I think it's funny. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still going to have it. I had to pause this movie multiple times we were watching it and go, BJ, <laughs> like, prayer's hand, boy, what is going on right here? Like, there was a point in, like around the 15, 20 minute mark where I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> the and fa- BJ's like, be nice, be open-minded, actually think about it. I'm like, no, I am. <laughs> but this opening like 15 minutes is a is bad movie. This is bad cinema. Personally, my favorite was when our breakfast finally arrived, like way longer than we wanted to. Oh, we were getting hangry by that point because it took yes. over two hours for it to get here. Yeah, it took way too long to get here. And uh, Harmony had paused it under the impression there was like 20 minutes left and there was 50 minutes left. We hadn't even gone to Vampire Vatican yet. Nope, we had not gone to Edward had not threatened to reveal his sparkly chest to the world yet. Nope, not yet. We had so much still. (laughs) We had to get lovely shots of an expensive car driving through the Italian countryside. Mm -hmm. We needed all of this still. Yep. 
we were nowhere near close. No. Uh, it was so, so delightful. We do have some context that we do want to bring to the table. So what, what do you have? So this is 2009. This is right after I graduated high school mm-hmm. and I sort of like banish Twilight Life from my consciousness because I am not around a lot of teen girls anymore. Mm-hmm. I had, I believe I stated this the last time we covered Twilight, I had, and I was fair, and skimmed, like, a scanned PDF of all of the books, mm-hmm. so I at least have a semblance of the plot, most of which I have forgotten by now. Well, it's because we know you don't read. Dude, do you really <laughs> think I'm going to commit time to digest Twilight? I can skim it, because there are so many adjectives, and the writing is so overwrought, I can easily breeze through <laughs> the general idea of what the Twilight movies You're were. You're not wrong. You can... You can get an idea of what's going on in these from, like, reading a wiki page. So I will read. I prefer nonfiction. But that's my understanding of it. I will say that there was a girl I was involved with prior to the movies. Like, I'm going to say 2007, maybe? So you're, like, 16? I'm, like, 16. That's thereabouts. She was really into it. And I, I run hot. I'm always warm. Living in Southern California, that's not always the best situation. Mm -hmm. But... I was like, oh, yeah, I'm basically like a space heater. And at one point, she's like reading through one of them, presumably this one, because this is the one where Jacob's introduced properly as a character. And she's like, look, look, he said that he's like a space heater or something like that. And she was like, we're fated to be together. And then we broke up like a week later. <laughs> so that is that. Can is- you imagine, though, being a person that's like, and I knew that it was love because at the time he said that he was like a space heater. Yeah. And I'm just like th- Jacob. <laughs> Gross. Just like him. <laughs> I took my shirt off about as often then. I, I was in really good shape. I was cut. Okay, I have seen like 16-year-old like buff boy harmony and yeah, you were pretty shredded. I, was, I would I also right. take my shirt off all the time. I, I was I was proud. I, was, I, had, <laughs> I had really solid abs. I did the party trick of like, yeah, girls, punch me in the abs. So of see how tough I am. Of course you did. I was did. so cool, man. I was tough. Oh God, you're the worst. Yeah, <laughs> duh. I was absolutely the worst. I had a lot of things that I hadn't worked through yet. So <laughs> that's basically my understanding of what New Moon is. Because mm-hmm. I had at least seen Twilight 1 before. Mm-hmm. I had never seen this one before. Oh, uh, and what a treat it is. It's the longest Twilight movie, so at least we've cre- we've, we've crossed that crest. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's it's only just shorter from here. Slowly. Slow, I mean, bit. the last two are basically one giant movie. That's very true. We will get there yes. eventually in several years. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I mean, same as it was with the OG Twilight, I made sure that if I was going to be trashing on something as a up-and-coming, you know, woman horror writer, I wanted to be able to defend my stance. That's, so That's pretty much I why I read it. That's also why I hate read the Bible. <laughs> it's a really hard read to get through. Um, that's also why I equally skimmed through the Fifty Shades books when they were coming out, because mm-hmm. I was also working in a sex store at the time. Well, you could have just read the Fifty Shades books and you would have covered Twilight because it is Twilight fan fiction. Two birds, one stone. I'm aware. (laughs) Yeah, so I I saw these as they came out. I will say this is my favorite one to watch when not sober. And we went out last night and we were very, very close to coming home and you being like, oh my God, I want to watch Twilight. But it was like 1030 at night and Mm -hmm. I would have never made it. Yeah, no, there, there was no way that was happening. But I love watching this movie not sober because... There's so much happening in this that is so absurd and ridiculous that it just, it's fun. <laughs> like, it becomes fun because it is awful. <laughs> oh, there's, there, here, here, here's the thing. 
when you describe all of the elements of this movie where it's like, oh yeah, by the way, Bella, Bella becomes an adrenaline junkie and Jacob teaches her how to ride a motorcycle and then she drives off without a helmet on and then hits her head on a rock and all of these things where it's like, what? It sounds bonkers. Mm-hmm. But then you watch it and it's like, okay, but it's not as good as you describe it. I know. It's werewolves more are going to fight each other and then werewolves and vampires are going to fight each other. It's like, oh, that sounds cool. It's not actually that cool. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, which it's is why it's tr- fun. It's still trying to be serious. It's not like <laughs> gone fully like into like of the absurdity of like the happening or something. Right. Well, God, I wish it would have. That would have been so much better. <laughs> Where everyone involved just hijacked. I mean, we already know that Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson don't like these movies. No, they hate them. If like, only they had just decided collectively to hijack the film series. God, I wish. Oh, that would have been so fun like I mean so as we were recording this Stephanie Meyer said that she was going to be working on another Twilight book like something in the series I will be the first to admit I did not dig deep into like what it actually is about for all I know it could be some weird Volturi spinoff that Bella and Edward have nothing to do with but I am secretly hoping that it is about Bella and Edward and somehow Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson are like fuck it, let's come back for this madness. And they just do nonsense. Like, I would give anything (laughs) for that. Like, these two actors who have got, like, Christian Stewart is an Oscar-nominated performer at this point. Rob Pattinson is the Batman. In one of the biggest films of the previous year, The Batman. Oh, my God, They have all moved on past it, except for poor Taylor Lautner, who is just kind of, like... He's struggling. (laughs) ...cursed by Twilight, because he has just not had the luxury of his career moving past being defined by these films. No. God, I would give anything, though. That'd be so funny. Um, (laughs) So... Twilight New Moon comes out a year after the first Twilight. Like, they pretty much... They drop them at the end of every year until yeah, the series they, is run through. And as we discussed in the in the first episode, they did not think that these movies were going to perform well mm-hmm. at all. They had no faith in them whatsoever. And then it was a phenomenon, and it was kind of like, oh shit, we got to do this. So they took it away from Catherine Hardwick. Uh, they gave it to a male director. He got rid of the blue lighting. Um, but... There was a standard set of, like, Twilight movies are coming and they're not going to be stopping. Mm -hmm. So, Harmony, tell the folks at home, what was the landscape of teen movies like in 2009? So, as we said, the Twilight movies are a phenomenon. They're not stopping. Twilight 1 ended up finishing the year out as the eighth highest grossing film of the year. Which is wild. Twilight 2 is the fourth highest grossing film of the year. Even wilder. Because these both came out in, what, like, November? Yes. Like, so they're the end of the year winner, and they came out at the end of the year. That's, huh, amazing. (laughs) I mean, if you want to look at, like, the box office mojo of things, uh, I think it's very, very funny that, granted, New Moon did have a whole month's head start. But at the end of the year, it ended up finishing above Avatar. That is hilarious. <laughs> Granted, that one had a much more sustained, slow burn yeah, box of office Yeah, and internationally is just of course. untouchable. But I just think it's very funny when you look at that in a vacuum and it's like, man, New Moon did better than Avatar. <laughs> but outside of that, um, we are firmly in like the franchise of Teendom and we're coming off of the 2000s being dominated by the Disney machine brand of Teendom. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of splintered off into Two very distinct camps, which is shoot for like 12, 13 year olds and then more of like college age young people. Mm -hmm. So in the Disney camp of things, you have Harry Potter. There's another one. There continues to be more of them until they're done. Mm -hmm. You have Band Slam, uh, Mm -hmm. Hannah Montana, the movie. Mm -hmm. 17 again, which is sort of like this tweener film, but it's Zac Efron. So yeah. Very popular with, like, younger teen girls. Mm-hmm. Um, Coraline, which I would argue is a tweener, but, like, it's an animated, like, PG film. Right. So. There's yeah. a lot. Also just, like, a really wide audience appeal on that one, which you can listen to our episode on Coraline. Yeah. And then 
On the other side of it, you have like Sorority Row and The Lovely Bones, Jennifer's Body, uh, Adventureland, which I absolutely love, Precious, mm-hmm. and sort of like I Love You, Beth Cooper as like mm-hmm. maybe the most the mid ground between these two. Well, I would also say that films like I Love You, Beth Cooper, and I know that Fired Up also comes out this year. Those are movies that have appeal to teen girls, but they are definitely trying to cater towards boys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to still kind mm-hmm. of pick off a little bit of the sex comedy vibe, even though they're not those movies at all, really. Yeah. I mean, so does Ad- Adventureland, mm-hmm. which also Kristen Stewart's in that, and she's so good in that one. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic in she's that. She's so good in that movie. It's just Bella Swan is not a good character. No, it's just terribly written, which is why I always get on like my little soapbox of Kristen Stewart has never been a bad actor. The Twilight movies just gave her the worst material because Uh the writing in these movies are dog shit. Yes, like I think people have sort of come around now to understanding that Kristen Stewart can act. And since we did our last episode, obviously the Batman has come around. So people who weren't really keeping up with Robert Pattinson are like, um, excuse me, the sparkly vampire guy is going to be Batman. I don't believe it. And then we're not following like all of the avant-garde acclaimed indie films right, he was it's doing. Like, oh, I'm sorry. You didn't see any of his other wonderful films like Water for Elephants or The Lighthouse. Yeah. Wow. Way to tell on yourself. Yeah, exactly. So neither one was like ever bad. They just, that, that, that's their, that's their mainstream appeal. Yes. Like, Kristen Stewart has done plenty of other stuff that is, like, more mild box office hair. Like, Underwater did okay, mm-hmm. but it was not, like, fourth biggest film of the year big. Right, but then she also would do these, like, really intimate, wonderful pieces, like Personal Shopper, that she's unbelievable in. She's so good in that movie. Mm-hmm. And since our last episode, she's also done uh, Crimes of the Future. So she did, like, a weirdo Cronenberg movie. Like, mm-hmm. she's doing cool stuff, and obviously Rob Pattinson is doing cool stuff. Yeah. Um. So, again, we are looking at bad material given to very talented actors who are trying their best Mm -hmm. with what they were given. Like, in all sincerity, I think the Twilight movies are quite possibly the best example of, like, even a good actor can't save bad material. I mean, they're doing exactly what they were asked to do. Mm -hmm. I, I will say... When you compare, like, Twilight 1 versus this one, which, by the way, they re-released Twilight 1 in preparation for New Moon. Where oh, yeah, it, you got to get those double to features. Theaters. Yes, yeah. of course. Um, which I think it works better as, like, a refresher because this one really hits the ground running under the assumption that you have seen the previous one recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to talk about, like, the whole sequel-itis of things mm-hmm. um, since we're in sequel month and it's a really good topic to discuss. But there is a flavor to this movie that's different than the first one it's not just the color palette mm-hmm. it's not just that we're you know th- now have brought jacob or jake as she refers to him she calls him jake nonstop. Where it's like no it's not team jake it's jacob uh-huh that's weird but <laughs> i think that there is a thing i can't put my finger on between having a male director handling this film versus the female director handling the original because everything about this one just feels like it's beating you over the head. It's so non-subtle and does no one any favors. And I don't know if that's the directing. It could just be that the writing is that bad, but it feels different. I, right? I have a couple theories on this, but it will end up opening a can of worms into a conversation I want to have much later, specifically about uh, Jacob's tribe and sure. how they're represented. Because I, I think that there's... They go hand in hand, so I'm going to save my talking point for when we go into that. All right. I also am going to say at the front, we did have some people respond to us after our Twilight episode that were 
fucking furious that we did not talk about like the indigenous representation in that movie. Uh, hi, it's because it's in this movie. This is the movie that has it, and it is so fucking awful and offensive. Jacob, and we're gonna talk about it because Jacob's actually in this movie. Yeah, Jacob and his terrible wig only has like one scene in the first Twilight movie. Yeah, he's barely there. He is such an afterthought, and now we're actually getting into it and. Oh my God, Stephanie Meyer, what were you thinking? Yeah. Oh my God, everybody who greenlit this movie, what were you thinking? Stephanie Meyer's writing is basically the understanding of being like, I bought a dream catcher off the highway and that's my understanding of culture. Yeah, it's <laughs> atrocious, absolutely atrocious, but we will, we will obviously get there. Yeah. So before we dive in any deeper, now it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Hey there, prom party. Hopefully you are excited for March's sequel month with five uh, inter interesting entries into the teen movie canon. Over on the Patreon this month, we've got some really fun things going on. For our Sadie Hawkins dance bonus episodes, we're covering teen boy buddy movies, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and because we're going into WrestleMania season and some of you really like it when we talk wrestling, we're talking about the WCW David Arquette train wreck masterpiece that is ready to rumble. Also for our musical milestone bonus episode, we'll be discussing Rebecca Black and her mistreatment as well as her debut album that came out last month. And for our TV homecoming miniseries on Freaks and Geeks, we're rolling on with three more good episodes. I've been really enjoying this rewatch we've been doing over on the Patreon, as well as our monthly playlist of cool indie bands you should be checking out, and the official This Ends at Prom newsletter. In addition to our extensive back catalog of dozens and dozens of episodes, if you're not able to subscribe to the Patreon, as always, we totally understand. Just try and pass us along to a friend that you think might like what we do, and give us a review over on Apple Podcasts. I think we're like just shy of 300, so if anyone wants to bump us over into, into that next stratosphere. That'd be really cool, and we'd appreciate it. Thank you so much, and back to the movie. Alrighty. So, obviously, we have met these characters before. We have talked about how we feel about them, but I'm curious, has your feelings on these, these main three? We'll go with the main three. Have they changed from <laughs> Twilight to Twilight New Moon? I mean, if you want to start with Edward, because he's not really in most of this movie. He's really not. He's in like the start of the movie and the end of the movie, which has a collective screen time of maybe 20 minutes. Wow. This is erasing all of the times that he shows up uh, looking dead eyed to say things like, lie better. Were you, were you green screen him in? <laughs> he's green screened in more than Wesley Snipes in Blade Trinity. And also getting like weird ghost effects. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, God. I don't count those. My bad. He's not actually there. <laughs> or maybe he is. I'm assuming that he's projecting himself to her. Mm -hmm. Or maybe she's just gone mad. <laughs> Both you know, are possible. Who knows? Bella's having a rough go of it in this movie. So Edward is basically the same. But now um, in a very heavy-handed Romeo and Juliet performance, um, he decides at the end, like, I can't be with you. I will kill myself. Mm -hmm. I will go to the Vatican so that they have to kill me. <laughs> I love that you're just going to continue calling it the Vatican. I don't know what it's actually called. They're wearing red robes like they're cardinals. Like... Well, that's because it's a celebration to celebrate they're not being vampires in Volturra. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's it, so dumb. They're going to, so they're going to Vampire Vatican and he's going to have assisted suicide via 
this guy yep. via this Shakespearean man who is a, an old world Italian vampire, like he's Bella Lugosi or something. Yeah, Michael Sheen. We'll talk about the Volturi for sure, but I do want to shout out ahead of time. Michael Sheen is not thinking about Twilight. This man is like, I'm thinking of Bela Lugosi and Hungarian vampires and old world classic acting. And he is bringing it. And he is so funny when he's mm-hmm. against everybody else. Anyway, continue, Edward. He's fine, but more dramatic. Mm-hmm. And that, I guess, compliments Bella because she's the same but so much more dramatic. Mm-hmm. Like, again, this is the weird thing where it's like, I don't know if it's the writing being this way or if we are like pushed her or if we're pushing her into like full on like hysterical female territory. But she has a death wish uh-huh. and the biggest feelings I've ever seen ever uh-huh. where she wakes up screaming because she misses Edward so bad and has nightmares about getting old, I guess. Okay, so the screaming. I don't know what direction she was given, but she sounds like somebody who is being murdered. Yeah. And I am of two thoughts about the screaming. On one hand, I do think it's pushing into like the quote unquote hysterical woman territory of Mm -hmm. like, because it is beyond dramatic how she is screaming it's it like, is violent it's, it is it's, visceral it's more than night terrors yes like the way this is portrayed and the way that like jacob is like oh what he did to you and people are the fact that she like goes comatose for several months on end and we just see her stare out the window like it feels like the direction for Kristen stewart is hey i need you to literally act like you are a junkie for mm-hmm. most of the movie you are a junkie mm-hmm. in love mm-hmm. and also the way that everyone's going to treat you during this montage post the 20 minute exposition dump of the intro mm-hmm. is almost like Edward literally hurt you. Yeah. Like say what you will about like he left so that he doesn't hurt you. But the way she handles it is like it's like he like beat her or something. She's being presented the way that victims on Law and Order SVU are That's being That's exactly it. Like and it it's is like, that is, level of melodrama. Why is it like that? So and, and this is where I get to, to the, the two minds about it. The reason that I am more so thinking that this is like a male's interpretation of, you know, teenage hysteria kind of thing mm-hmm. is because of how Charlie reacts to it, which also Charlie is brought up so much in this movie as just like, you can't kill yourself. What would Charlie think? You can't do this. It's never your what dad. Would Charlie it's think? Always it's Charlie. always Charlie. Charlie's <laughs> basically a MacGuffin. And I found myself, aside from him being a cop, I found myself relating to Charlie very strongly in this movie in the way that people are like, man, the older you get, the more you're like, no, King Trident was right. Arrow, you're being a dumb teenager. Right. I'm like sitting there just being like, Charlie wakes up at one point when she's screaming and he just like puts his fingers in his eyes and he's just like, oh, God damn it. See, and that's why I think that it is going into like hysterical teen like territory because the way she is screaming, any normal parent would be like, I'm taking you to the fucking hospital. And he's like, you are being like, (laughs) you need severe psychological help because this is like beyond acceptable. Something is very, very wrong with you. But Charlie is treating it as if she's like crying about like the boy who didn't want to take her to prom. She's sulking. And his response is like, I don't know what to do with you. I'm just going to send you to Florida. Right. Like (laughs) I have these things where I'm like relating to Charlie because I'm like, no, she is being way too dramatic. Like, the too big of feelings, yes, and so, I also don't know what to do with that, and I feel you, Charlie. Because the other side of it is, uh, you know, again, the thing that we talk about on the show all the time is 
when you are a teenager and you experience heartbreak like this, it is in a lot of instances, the worst thing you've ever experienced. Yeah. So yeah, you are going to have these big emotions, but the difference is I would expect this out of like a child, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way she's screaming and crying is the way that like a five-year-old screams and cries when something is being denied them and they have no idea why. And they have no idea how to regulate their emotions. Like she's a senior in high school, like girl. Okay. But She's a senior in high school. Let's talk about that for a sec. She just has her birthday. She's mm-hmm. 18 now, so I guess it's not as weird that Edward is old as dirt. It's but still also, pretty weird. It's extremely weird, but he's way older, but his body is technically younger, and mm-hmm. then Jacob's actually younger than him because yeah, they, they have to keep telling you over and over he again. He can't even buy his own ticket for an R-rated movie. Remember, Taylor Lautner's 16. Uh-huh. Remember, he's 16. He's 16. She's the old one here. He's 16. But we're going to make him shirtless like he's working outside of an Abercrombie and Fitch for a whole movie. Oh, my God. I, I'll talk about that mm-hmm. when we get to Jacob. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's so weird that the way that they're portraying her is like, her whole thing is that, like, oh, well, she's afraid of getting old. She's technically, like, an older woman to both of these men. And yet we're portraying her with, like, these extremely underdeveloped, very, uh, like, childish outbursts of emotion. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. And I don't It doesn't get it. make any sense. Like, it doesn't make sense for who this character is supposed to be. And I understand that they're trying to portray like she is in this much agony. So this is how it's manifesting. But to me, that just speaks to like a director not knowing how people like young women actually express agony. So it's like, nope, I'm giving you the direction to scream as if you're being stabbed. And it's like, yeah, it does kind of feel like that. But that's Something is happening here. Like, it is just the weirdest choice. Yeah, I mean, you do weird things when you're six. I remember being 16, and I would stay awake for 70 hours just because I'm like, well, if I feel exhausted, I'll feel something. Right. And, and I'm going to go walk into the Metro Park in at, at 2 a.m. and go sit near a creek and just find, like, weird, uniquely teenage ways of expressing, like, my isolation and my loneliness mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, like, I get being brooding. I get big feelings. I understand that. I remember having extremely novel fascinations with the the uh, with my own mortality and the fact that it's like, I could end it at any time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you, you become aware of that, and then your big feelings are like, well, if I don't get home in time to watch the new episode of Dragon Ball Z, I'm just gonna go ahead and end it all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, listen to our episode on wrist cutters. <laughs> yeah, but, like, you get these big feelings. Like, I understand that. It's But the portrayal of them is weird, and the way that this movie normalizes her feelings of stuff is weird, where it's like, I think there's actually, like, really good themes at play here but the way the movie is the moralizing execution them is weird is and it's the writing but it's like the way that the movie moralizes them is so fucking strange and goes in the wrong direction where it's like presents things where it's like what if edward points out that what he's doing is toxic and what if bella points out that he's really old and it's creepy but then we don't do anything with it yeah it's like presenting these elements but then does the opposite thing with them yeah the entire exposition dump at the beginning of this movie addresses all of those things of like, well, actually you're 109. Actually it's this, actually it's whatever. And then they don't do anything. Like it very much feels like the trying to have your cake and eat it too situation where it's like, well, we acknowledge that this is problematic or we acknowledge that this is weird. So since we acknowledge it, we can now do whatever we want. Yeah. Like there's, there's compelling stuff here, but then they, they don't, they don't do stuff with it. (laughs) Nope. Nope. They don't do anything with it at all. Because it's not about that. And I don't know. I just, Bella ends up just sulking and then abandoning all of her high school friends that aren't Collins because they just decide to skip town. And she's just 
I, I get that she's doesn't relate to them as strongly as she does the Cullens, but it's also this thing of like, what do any of them have in common? Mm-hmm. What, what Bella? What are your interests other than Edward? Mm-hmm. Like I get that, like she doesn't even like music anymore. Harmony. She doesn't. Like I get it that you're not like Anna Kendrick and you don't want to go shopping, and like maybe you like zombie movies or something like that. But she doesn't, and I guess that's your interest because that's a movie you went to go see. But face punch. She saw face punch. The and, cinematic classic face punch, which she's not super into, and then the little soft boy ends up puking because it's just too violent for him. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's be- how you know she's not like other girls because she can handle face punch. Be- Bella likes blood, but I don't know. I get that she doesn't relate to them, but there's no point where we see how she relates to the Cullens other than they got her things for her birthday. Mm-hmm. It's like, here, we got you presents. We showered you with affection. Come stay in our big fancy house and we might give you powers like any vampire with a familiar might. Like they're they're they're, they're giving you little treats. That, and that is the conveyance to the audience that's like, oh, no, these people love her more than her high school friends. Mm-hmm. They but only I don't act- wished her a happy birthday. Yes, but I don't know what Bella likes. I don't know what she does. Because, again... Bella Swan is a shell where nothing about her is too specific so that literally any woman can put themselves in her position because she's not defined in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So anybody can be Bella Swan. Like, that is the point. But as far as, like, I get that that's the point. I get that that's how it worked. It was very effective in that. But as a character, as a movie. Oh, yeah, it's dreadful. There's nothing. Yeah, you have nothing to work with. Um, and it's just very, very frustrating, but... In the first movie, you're, I'm willing to make exceptions, because there's a plot. Like, we meet the characters, we get the stakes, we, you know, it goes on an arc. This one is like, here's a bunch of stakes and exposition. By the way, now Edward's gone. Mm-hmm. Now Jacob's in this new movie, and Edward's floating around, and then Edward comes back, and by the way, we're back in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Or we're back in, like, the start of the movie, mm-hmm. where it's all coming around. It's like, the, the pacing of this movie is is bad. Yeah, the like pacing it's structured this, like a bad movie. Yeah, the pacing of this movie is off the charts because... <laughs> so speaking of her birthday party, uh, it has one of my favorite images of the entire franchise, which is her getting the paper cut and then Edward uh, throwing, throwing her? her into the wall. Yeah, his idea, I guess, is like, get back, I'll protect you. But like, flings her into the wall Let and then she cuts you into herself these glass more. And just cover you in blood and Jasper's gonna stare at you with the same like horrible sensation that he must have stared at the Union soldiers when he was a Confederate general or whatever. Yeah, because Jasper's Cause the worst. Jasper's the worst. Okay, but, like, <laughs> let's let's talk about that forever, because, like, that was the first moment in the movie that made me go, ooh. Because uh-huh. aside from that, it's just information and lore that... Because Twilight was... Correct me if I'm wrong, but Twilight, the book, the first one, was not designed to be a series. No. So no. then Stephanie Meyer just goes... Cool. Um, yeah, that's I have why to, New Moon is a kitchen sink. I have to develop a lot of lore and a lot of stuff that's going to carry us for the rest of the franchise. Here it is in the opening parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just plopped right on you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that point where he flings her against the wall and ends up hurting her, but it's... It, it, it's, it is so comic book cartoony it's absurd, nonsense. It's bonkers. It's And it's out of nowhere. Like, that's the thing is the, they have these big explosive moments, but they happen out of nowhere. And because they're so <laughs> just like unexpected, it doesn't have the effect that I think anybody working on these movies wanted to have because it just, it seems nuts. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. It does, but I want to compare that to Jacob mm-hmm. because... 
Jacob has this whole thing where it's like, between Team Edward versus Team Jacob, it's like, which boy do you find prettier? That's probably the team you're going to be on. Or which one is pretty enough to let you overlook that one is way too old and emotionally abusive, and the other one is a bit too young and might be physically abusive. The the, the boundaries, this movie has never heard of nope. them. They Bo- don't exist. Boy's still sneaking into her bedroom. Oops, no boundaries. Yeah, so you have the thing where... Jacob is saying like, oh yeah, Sam lost control and he got really angry and um, he almost clawed his girlfriend's face off. He scarred the shit out of her face. She looks like Van from Yellow Jackets. Yeah, just absolutely fucking like just took some claws straight to her eyes. She almost she almost got stuck wearing an eye patch. And Jacob goes, I, I don't want that to be me. I don't want something to set me off and I might lose control and hurt you. And it wouldn't be my fault. That's just, that's just a thing that might happen. It wouldn't be my fault. And that's sort of painted as like, oh, that's his flaw, because like maybe he's mm-hmm. a werewolf, and that that that's just part of being a werewolf is they have a temper, especially when they're teens and they're angsty werewolves. I was a teenage werewolf, whatever. But Edward does that by throwing her against a wall. Yeah. Or the <laughs> so fact he's that, doing just the same thing. <laughs> or when they have that weird kiss before he takes off, and he's just kind of like <laughs> throughout the entire kiss. Yeah, it's like he's trying not to eat her. The movie's not consistent. Also, like he, the noises he makes during that kiss and his face is just pained and it makes me feel gross. Edward, what happened with Jasper? It's nothing. You're right. It was nothing. Nothing but what I always expected. And nothing compared to what could have happened. Just don't belong in my world, Bella. I belong with you. No. You don't. I'm coming. Bella. I don't want you to come. Okay, so speaking of his face, we mentioned that with Catherine Hardwick no longer being in the director's chair, the movie loses the blue filter, which then just highlights how ill the entire Cullen family looks, but specifically Edward. Edward looks like an emaciated Victorian child. Like, he... Like, that's the point? He's dead now. Yeah, but he was dead in the last movie, but it's like, okay, he's dead, but I understand the allure. Like, I get it. The the blue lighting worked. Yeah, and this one, you look It's warm, it's sunny, there's a lot of nature sort of colors, like earthy colors. And then that contrasts him, but he also has these dark eyes because they put these horrible contacts in. And it's just clashing things, and he, he looks bad. Robert Pattinson looks bad in this movie, and he's not a bad-looking man. No, he's such ever. an attractive man, but in this movie, he just, he looks ill. I just, man, without that blue filter over the whole movie, he, why? Yeah, the the color theory on him just gets really gross. Like, he doesn't, he, again, he just looks ill. Like, mm-hmm. there's no other way to describe it. He looks ill, his eyes look like he just smoked the fattest blunt in the entire world, mm-hmm. and... Like, just, oh God, he's awful. I remember being in high school and there were teen girls who I went to class with who who liked the overly pale, emaciated boys who were brooding and had lots of feelings. You know, they were, you know, the alternative girls who liked the goths and then the emos and then the scene kids and maybe like the brooding metalhead kid occasionally. But like, that is 
an aesthetic that girls are into. Mm -hmm. But he's like the worst version of in this. Mm -hmm. But the only difference is I guess he's Abercrombie hot because he has abs. I guess. That that he's he's built like a jockey Twinkie boy with no chest mm -hmm. hair, but he's styled and colored like a brooding emo kid. Yeah. Okay, so that's Edward and Bella. Now we have our newer character. We have Jacob oh, God. Uh, and his horrible wig. Hey, he gets a haircut. He takes that wig off. She has a point where it's like, oh, my God, you got a tattoo and cut your hair. And I'm just like, oh, my God, he got a tattoo and took his wig off. That wig is atrocious. A lot of people in this movie are in bad wigs. That wig, thirsty. That wig is thirsty. It mm -hmm. is awful. And mm -hmm. oh God, the hairline on it is rough. Just, oh, that wig is terrible. Listen, One I... One of the worst wigs we've ever seen on the show, and we've done an episode on the craft. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's top five. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that it was, like, a joke. That it's like, oh, yeah, no, Jacob always takes his shirt off. Like, that, that, that was always felt like, oh, no, people are exaggerating and, like, how bad it is. Because I remember, okay, in Twilight 1, I was slightly defensive of Edward. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, no, he does creepy stuff. But it's not as creepy as everyone said it was. Because I think that they embellished and apparently the book version is creepier than the movie version is. So uh -huh. I defended him slightly because it's not as bad as I thought it would be. No, Jacob really does just take his shirt off in every fucking scene, doesn't he? Yeah. And if he's not just shirtless, he's also wet. He's wet constantly. He's Either he's wet sweaty or it's rainy glistening. or he just got out of the water. Yeah, he's just, it's weird. He's moist the whole movie. Which I, <laughs> we talked about it when we did the first movie about how that one is basically just like fetish content for teenage girls mm -hmm. where it's, it's a workaround of like, chaste edging of of horny girl feelings and like that's present here and it's honestly way more obvious because mm -hmm. like when all of the werewolf boys are like sitting at the table eating muffins i'm like why does this look like just the setup for a porn with like jockey twinks it really does though <laughs> just a, it's, it's really strange <laughs> it looks like a david dakota movie and i don't mean that as an insult because i love david dakota movies but that's what it looks like it's so it's it's I thought people were exaggerating when they said how much Jacob takes his shirt off. Nope, they were not. No, it's it, they're not at all. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene like when he first cuts his hair and they're in the rain in what I assume is February in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And they're having a conversation and you can tell. The heat is like radiating off of him. Like Poor Taylor Lautner is like shivering. He's, he's not supposed to be cold, but you can tell by looking at him. He's literally shaking because he's getting rained on on like a cloudy day and i feel bad for taylor lautner <laughs> yeah because he's shirtless this entire movie like i mean there's that shot at the very end when him and uh edward have kind of like a face-off and they're driving and they come around the corner and he's, and he's just, just standing, standing in the there. road and it's like how long was taylor lautner standing there just flexing until he was vibrating to try to pop his muscles out as much as possible this poor kid i mean my I, God. I do love that um he clearly didn't do flexibility training because there's some scenes where he's standing there and he's like a little too puffed up it's the thing where he did maybe too many bicep curls and he, he couldn't put his arms he down. can't put his arms down properly so they just sort of hover there because the muscles are really tight look i relate to that <laughs> as somebody who can't put their arms down because my boobies is too big so yeah. i get it i don't know man i i jacob I think I would be Team Jacob if I was gun to my head forced to pick one of them. Okay. Because he doesn't feel as bad or as manipulative or as toxic as Edward, mm -hmm. at least up to this point in the Twilight story. That said, 
I don't think she should be with either. No, I've always been on Team Bella needs to go to college and date around and see the world. Like, that's Correct. exactly what she needs. Um, because this is, you know, kind of the... It's wild that we let 18-year-olds take out, like, hundreds and thousands of dollars in bank loans to go to college. And it's the same thing. Like, it's wild that we have an 18-year-old who is getting ready to, like become a vampire forever for this guy she's only known for like a year um so while we're talking about jacob i want to talk about the the everything that involves his tribe oh my fucking god huh. so the piece that i'm going to be citing here is by shay vassar over at film days shay is a cherokee nation writer so this is an indigenous writer and i oh goodness there's going to be a lot of it that i'm going to be citing because again white people, not our, our lane to be, to be acting as experts on this lived experience and how it affects other people. Mm -hmm. Um, so instead I'm going to be, you know, shouting out this work and I'm glad that it is available. There is a ton of work, uh, written about this. Uh, but this piece I thought was like really, really accessible to, you know, the, the average reader who might not have ever thought about this in, in a very serious way. Mm -hmm. Um, so for those that don't know, I mean, the same way that Forks Washington is a real place and a lot of people go and visit it. The Quileute tribe that Jacob is from is an actual tribe, mm. um, and they are also a very small tribe. There's about 2,000 people, um, I think, the last time they did kind of like a like a census poll. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a not not just a marginalized group in the sense that they're indigenous. They are also like a micro marginalized group because they are so small. So the fact that Stephanie Meyer chose this specific group. I mean, I think she did for proximity's sake because it's close to Forks. She probably just like Googled like, what tribes are up in this area? I would I would not be shocked if that's what it was. And she's mm -hmm. talked numerous times like, oh, I did my research. And I'm like, did you though? Or did you Google stuff? Like, what, what are we talking about here? Um, so in this piece for Film Days, it is titled The Twilight Saga's Issue with Indigenous Culture. And it says, harmful structures of power exist behind even the most seemingly innocent young adult novels, and Twilight is no exception. And this is written in 2020. In writing Twilight, Stephanie Meyer ensured that behind every glittering vampire was a deep and fantastical backstory. Edward Cullen might appear 17 years old, but he's actually a survivor of the 1918 flu pandemic. Uh, so... Theoretically, Edward Cullen could have been hanging out with Pearl from Pearl because they're from the same time period. Yeah. Uh, but while a good amount of Twilight is an obvious product of fiction, vital pieces of the story are lifted straight from our reality. And most of those are pertaining to the land and indigenous people in the region that the, sto the entire story takes place. So just as Forks is an actual location, so too is the nearby Lapush, where local boy Jacob Black comes from. He's a member of the Quileute tribe, a federally recognized Native American tribe that exists in the United States, and the fictional Jacob attends school on the real, the real world reservation. Authors have always used real-life cultures as inspiration for their stories, but Meyer's use of the Quileute people is made different through Jacob's eventual loss. Because, spoiler alert, Edward wins. <laughs> Oh, I know. And then <laughs> I know that Jacob uh, ends up with a baby. Mm -hmm. And oh, that writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So uh, Shay writes that Bella is completely infatuated with Edward towards whom the love triangle is unfairly weighted. Edward is powerful, mysterious, and ridiculously white. In fact, the entire Cullen clan is made up of white vampires. So my guess is that Carlisle only felt like saving the desperate and dying souls that happened to also look just like him. Edward's physical traits matter only because of how pale he is as a love interest compared to the brown indigenous man with a crush, furthering the possible tension that's already present in the possibility of an interracial relationship with Bella. Mm-hmm. So we've got that going on. Another very important thing uh, that Shay brings up is that the differences in personality are just as significant. Edward was born in 1901, and his stoic emotions, along with his insistence on chastity until marriage, are a reinforcement of Christian morals that came to this land during the times of colonization. Edward and the entire Cullen family have sworn to control their desire for human blood as they actively work to control their urges. You compare that to Jacob, who is much more emotionally off the wall, constantly appearing without a shirt and unable to control his wolfishness. So, let's cut the pleasantries out of here. Jacob is being presented as an uncontrollable savage. Like, Mm -hmm. that is how he's being presented. He's shirtless. He can't control his sexuality. He can't control his emotions. He's dangerous. He's impulsive. These are all things that are being viewed as, like, a negative thing, Mm -hmm. whereas Edward is, like, fine and refined, and he's white and... Like, it is so horrible all of the all of, way this is happening all of edward's negative traits are seen as like oh but that's romantic she's romanticizing white supremacy <laughs> and all of jacob's traits are why he's not a good candidate yeah so she even says these differences play into extremely harmful characterizations of native people that are not far off from the western films of the 1950s especially through the consistent and pointed comparisons to the la di da edwardian vampire representing the perfect gentleman mm-hmm. to some the mention of indigenous becomes synonymous with primitive acting more on bodily instincts than on rational decisions Isn't this how Jacob Black is personified? A man that runs around with his wolf pack nearly naked and highly emotional? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, it is. (laughs) Running around with his wolf pack, that's one thing. But can we also talk about how they treat them like like a gang? Yeah. Like there's like gang initiative where it's like, oh, you got to jump off a cliff and you got to get a tattoo and you got to get a haircut and you have to wear our uniform, which is no shirt. And... It, it's very distinctly different than how the Cullens are portrayed in, like, their brood. Yeah, the Cullens, like, it's presented as this, like, oh, my gosh, I was dying, and then this saved me. Becoming a part of this family is the only reason I'm still here today. Blah, 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 blah. Whereas when you become one of, like, the wolf people of <laughs> of Jacob's tribe, it's presented as this, like, I can't believe you do that. Sam's controlling you. Oh, my God. This is the worst thing fucking the, ever. They refer to it as a cult? Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, it is. It is beyond I mean, fucked. Bella, up. you basically want to join a vampire cult. Yes, thank you. You you want to join people that are going to go hang out with villains at Vampire Vatican. You want to join a fucking church. But, this but is a religious civilized. cult. But they're civilized because <gasps> it's got culture and history. It's civilized because they have throne rooms. Yeah. God, I fucking hate it. Um, so another aspect that Shay brings up, which I think is really, really important, is so that we learn in New Moon that there is a treaty. That is the word used. Treaty. Mm-hmm. Between the vampires and the werewolves to not fight each other. Meyer's narrative use of a treaty between the Cullens and the Quileute is a device that has so much potential for good, but instead only furthers the harmful indigenous representation. 
Treaties are a major part of indigenous law that are commonly misunderstood by a majority of lawmakers, politicians, judges, and non-natives. In fact, a majority of the treaties signed by governments are currently being disregarded. But instead of utilizing a treaty between a group of pale bloodsuckers and the federally recognized tribe to educate on the realities of indigenous people, it becomes instead of superfluous plot device, presumed instead as fiction by readers and viewers across the world. It really is, though. Like, mm -hmm. a treaty, which is a legitimate thing that exists in our world, is being presented as kind of like a gentleman's handshake, mm -hmm. so to speak. And, and then also Jacob breaks the treaty, which is like, oh, look at him. He's un he's uncouth because he's like, oh, I guess he doesn't care about following the rules because he just wants to protect Bella. So he's breaking this thing that is fundamentally larger than him, and they specify it earlier in the movie. Yes. But he's flying off the handle because he's just an impulsive teen. Yes. Yeah, so, an impulsive young pup, as it were. So on top of all of that, there's also the issue of casting in that Taylor Lautner is not indigenous. And throughout the future run of the movies, he would do, you know, press interviews where he would say that, like, oh, yeah, I have distant relatives that are indigenous. But, like, he's not, he's not affiliated with, like, his community and something that Shay writes is that, like, at the time, Lautner was not aware of any indigenous biology or ancestry, and he definitely was not culturally tied to any group. And it's one of those things where it's like there are so many people that find out that they're like 0.02 percent mm -hmm. native. One thirty second. Yeah, like we have people that claim stuff like that all the time. And one of the things that Shay says in here is, "But if you do not have ties to a specific community who will claim you when you claim them, then you are not native." Correct. And I love that saying. Like, if, if I think that that's strong for just community yeah. space in general. I think so too. I think that that's really really smart and. It's one of these things where it's like the convenience, um, you know, in his casting, I'm going to quote Shay again. It indicates that the higher power-ups that be, a.k.a. those behind the public relations and marketing of Twilight films, knew the source material they were adapting was anti-indigenous. And rather than fixing that or finding an original story created by an actual indigenous person, they continued in the same impressive vein until they got caught and then attempted to remedy their purposeful decision by having Lautner then claim a sacred culture that will not claim him back. And then they also had him call Bella Loca for some reason. Right! Like, what the fuck is happening? What happened to you? What's wrong? Hey! What happened? Did Sam get to you? Is that what's happening? Sam's trying to help me. Don't blame him. But if you want somebody to blame, how about those filthy bloodsuckers you love? The Collins. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been lying to everyone. Charlie. But you can't lie to me. Not anymore, Bella. On top of everything, like above everything else, Stephanie Meyer is utilizing the sacred, you know, texts and beliefs of a tribe because the Quileute tribe, they do have like legends and stories where they talk about, you know, man's relationship to wolves or our connection to wolves. And then she turned it into like a supernatural kind of like werewolf story. Yes. Now, like if I'm not mistaken, it's based on the idea of being a shapeshifter. And then she decided to go, well, 
they shapeshift, but they're just werewolves, and we're going to call them werewolves. There's, like, been so many different stories as to where she claims she has the idea what it was inspired by, because to me it feels like she had one story, that didn't go well, so then it just became, like, a panic backpedal. Mm -hmm. So to truly know, like, what the definitive inspiration was is kind of impossible at this point, which is really awful. But she did not compensate the the tribe for using their name for using any of their practices any of their iconography like she didn't compensate them it's public domain it's okay it's it's <laughs> it's ridiculous and something that Shay does point out that i think you know is is worth noting is that of course the fandom did create a good amount of tourism to the reservation which stimulated some areas of the local economy but the overarching message is like all of that was just kind of forgotten and you know, that's just, that's just like such a problem. And that led me to find this academic piece that I'm just going to kind of like summarize because it's an academic piece. It's like really, really hardy. Mm -hmm. But Joanna Lowe's Siegel has an article called Vampires, Werewolves, and Other Humans Learning from Participatory Responses to the Representation of Native Americans in Twilight. And in that piece, one of the things that Joanna brings up is that to just say like, oh, it's just a movie or, oh, it's just a story, does not exist when we're dealing with properties like Twilight or more commonly now, things like the MCU, Mm. because audiences are not passive participants. This isn't just a thing that they're watching. It's a thing that they're making part of their personality. Oh, that's that's the function of fandom. Mm -hmm. Fandom means that you're engaging in like a community and a discussion and a dissection of a work rather than just saying like, I watched it and I was a fan. Right. So all these people that are going to La Push, are they going because they genuinely respect and want to like pay respects to the tribe or are they going because they're checking off something on their Twilight bucket list? Mm-hmm. And the other problem is that when I you want have... a dream catcher, like in the movie, yes! I want a dream catcher. Where right. are, where are your dream catchers? I heard that you people like them. Right. Like that's the thing that happens with this sort of situation. And then on top of it all, like there people are using these stories and they're believing them as fact because this is how they're being presented with it. I know we talked about this a little bit with like Titanic on how like that movie inspired so many people to become like quote unquote Titanic kids where they became obsessed with like the tragedy of what happened and wanted to learn everything about it. But is that going to happen with this situation? Like are people actually learning about the tribe or are they just really excited because it's part of Twilight and they're believing what they've been presented by Stephanie Meyer as factually accurate? Well, I mean, I will say that like Titanic was historical fiction. This is just straight up fantasy and Mm -hmm. you're putting people's lives on the same level of reality as werewolves and vampires yes it's fucked like it's so fucked up god this fucking movie um from what i have done a little bit of research on is it does look like the tribe has been given some form of financial compensation in later years eventually eventually and i think it was only because people really called that shit out and they're like this is fucked up good um as they rightfully should be but it is it's just one of those examples of like why like white people dabbling into cultures that are not their own and using it for any sort of like creative exploration. Like you have to be careful with this sort of thing. Like Mm -hmm. the fact that she didn't consult actual indigenous people or didn't have sensitivity readers or didn't have any, anybody. No, Stephanie Meyer's just like, I'm going to manifest my destiny. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Um, <laughs> like for like, real though. But that's she, exactly what she did. She basically just goes and just tromps into other people's fucking cultures and just be like, I'm just gonna get, to get my muddy boots all over your shit. Yeah, like that's exactly what happened, and it's it's just beyond frustrating. And it's also really telling that this is, you know, the, the book series is coming out in the 2000s. So when people like to make arguments of like, <laughs> you could never make that today, like, good. Because, yeah, something like this would not fucking fly today. Some editor at a publishing company would be like, this is not correct. We hired a sensitivity reader. Go fix this or see the door. Like, we're not publishing this shit. True. But back then, nobody fucking cared. But, like, but, but again, with this situation, it's like, but there's something there to this. But then she made all the wrong decisions with it. Yeah, there could have there's, been something interesting. There's something there. There could have been something really powerful, and she just didn't do it. Like, mm-hmm. and then the movie, you know, in, in sequence, she didn't, didn't do it. Do and it. then nobody who made the movies did it. No. There was a lot of people who could have did things, but they and decided no to stay true did. to the source material, no which is did. fundamentally flawed. Oh my God. It's like, it's beyond frustrating. So. Which, how much of that do you think is not caring, but also it's about not thinking that teenage girls would give a shit. Just give them whatever and they'll just deal with it. Like they don't they don't want to process this as anything more than a silly romance. I think that's definitely part of it, but I think the majority of it is just like we live in a white supremacist society and people don't take that shit seriously. Well, of course. So it's very much just like nobody like it I don't think it even got to that point of like teen girls aren't going to care no about this. No one even questioned it. I don't think anyone even questioned it from the beginning because why would any white people question any of this shit? Because yeah. they wouldn't. Um we, did, we didn't take any branches. We stayed purely at the trunk. Yes. And, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I believe it. And we didn't dig into the roots at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, that that issue is undoubtedly, in my opinion, like that is the worst crime of the movie is, is I mean, that representation. It's a bad movie, but this, but a lot of movies are bad. That's actually like an egregious real thing. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Because it, <laughs> it's so easy. Like, we, we've, we've pointed out a lot of flaws with this movie already, and we've still got plenty more movie to still discuss. And it feels it feels really unfair to point out all of the clearly, obviously wrong things with it, because it's the first thing anyone notices. Right. All of... Yeah, sure, both men are kind of abusive, especially Edward. And yet kind it, of. And yet it paints Jacob as being as bad as him when he clearly isn't. But mm-hmm. also it paints him in a completely different light that is just what we've been talking about. Like that's fundamentally how the, the whole structure of the story is set up. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are really noticeable and that the bad things. And it feels weird to dwell on because everyone else has done it. Right. So let's start to move on with that. And let's start talking about like the sequelisms of things. So it's a lot easier to point to now that we have things like the MCU. And this is not a spoiler for Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania at all. But that movie is what I would classify as a movie perpetuating machine. Mm-hmm. Like it is a movie that almost exists solely to set up other movies. Mm-hmm. Twilight is where we're starting to get that. And some people would argue Harry Potter. I disagree. Even Lord of the Rings, though, he made those pretty much back to back to back. Right. And I disagree with both of those because I think that those individual movies, you know, outside of like the problematic J.K. Rowling and the writing of them all of Harry Potter, each of those movies stand on their own as individual movies with the exception of the Deathly Hollow movies because they are literally a part in one and part two. Mm -hmm. But they stand alone as their own movies. Same thing with the Lord of the Rings movies. Same thing with, I would argue, with the Hunger Games movies, except for Mocking J1 and 2. Again, it's they're parts of the same puzzle. Mm-hmm. 
Twilight, New Moon feels like a movie that is just killing time before we eventually get to Breaking Dawn. Oh, you could knock out this movie in like 30 minutes. It, it's a movie yes. of exposition and edging and establishing shit that's going to move on to the next movie where it's like, cool, first 15 minutes. Here's all of the lore and the world building we didn't set up in the first movie because we didn't think there was going to be more than one book. Great. Here's Jacob. We're going to spend a lot of time with Jacob because Edward got a whole movie and now we need to give a whole movie to Jacob in order for you to care about him enough to have girls like pick sides like sports teams. Mm -hmm. Cool. And now the closing line is let's get married. There's promises of her becoming a vampire and them getting married and that sets up the next movie. It is so much just the motions of getting on to the next thing. How many times in this movie does somebody say, no, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. Like, I, constantly. I hate the climax of this film. Aside from the fact that it is a symptom of American action filmmaking, but in a completely different way where it's like normally they like blur the camera and shake things around so you don't see any of the action. The fight scene in the end of this movie is, what if we literally blur them because mm -hmm. they're moving too fast? And that whole thing is just... Someone's going to do a thing and someone goes, no, wait, stop. You can't. And it's just <laughs> so much more a thing's going to happen. And then someone just interrupts it because we can't have that happen. And it's just a lot of things that should be the climax of the scene compounding onto each other. Mm -hmm. and it's just it's, it's bad pacing and it's bad writing. The whole movie has a problem with that. But once we get to Twilight, once we start to see the MCU or Harry Potter and I wouldn't say Harry Potter, but I would say the Harry Potter sequel films, the Fantastic Beast films. Oh, totally. Now you have movies that are being made with the promise that there will be a second film. Mm -hmm. It's not, hey, we're going to make this movie and, and if it does well. Maybe we'll get lucky. Then there will be another one. Yeah. It's no, you're making it because this, because this isn't Twilight 2, New Moon. This is the Twilight Saga New Moon, we are making a saga. We are going to do every single Twilight movie, mm -hmm. no matter how bad they tank. That is a that is assured. Mm -hmm. You have Marvel movies who are too big to fail. There will be. It doesn't matter how much everyone hates Thor 2 or even Thor 1. It doesn't matter how much people are underwhelmed by Ant-Man or whatever. We're going to make another one. Yeah, We're they keep have making phases that are planned. In We will be in our 50s by the time they are done. True. And... The problem you have with modern blockbusters and modern franchises, aside from everyone trying to make a universe, all of the MCU, mm -hmm. is that movies aren't purely movies anymore. Mm -hmm. The Fantastic Beast movies were made because, one, we like money, but also we have theme parks to sell. Mm -hmm. You gotta buy tickets to Wizarding World. Mm -hmm. Hey, we're making a Super Mario Brother movie and we need it to succeed. We're gonna throw Chris Pratt and Anya Taylor-Joy and all of these other star-studded people in this movie because we have a Mario theme park to sell you now. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep doing things because it's not just a movie. It's mm -hmm. not just a thing. Um, this is a symptom we have routinely with the Pokemon franchise mm -hmm. where they have to come out with regularity because... They have an anime series that's in production at the same time the game is. Mm -hmm. And the anime series has to be timed out to premiere when the game premieres because that is all, that's the new world. Those are the new Pokemon. That's the thing. And it's going to be tied to the trading card game. Mm -hmm. It's going to be tied to all of the merch. We have all of these things that are trickling down from the core piece of media. Mm -hmm. And it's not purely just movies anymore. And so movies don't have to be movies. Movies need to sell you on other movies. And the merch and the experiences you get 
from buying other things. Well, that, okay, so you just gave me a perfect segue to talk about something that I wanted to talk about, but I don't think we'd, uh, we're never going to have the chance to talk about this on our show other than right here in this moment. Okay. So the DCU, like the DC universe that we're going on right now. Sure. There were two really big things that happened that people are really fucking mad about. And it becomes this thing where it's like, I need you to shut off your logic brain and think like an evil capitalist for a second Mm -hmm. because everyone's like, they completely canned the Batwoman movie and yet they're still going to go through with The Flash with Ezra Miller who has proven that they are like an absolute menace. Just uh, the the biggest nightmare celebrity that we seem to have right now. Right. And they're like, like, I don't understand why they did that. This is clearly blah, blah, blah. Like any sort of justification. Throw them up there with like Kanye for like the most demonic public figure we have in our world right now right so like people are you know people are getting really upset about it and they're i I don't want to say like stop acting brand new about this but stop acting brand new about this batwoman got scrapped because it doesn't fit in with the world that they're building you know post snyderverse post everything and the reason the flash was not scrapped regardless of ezra miller's behavior is because that piece that piece is the crux of everything that they're doing moving forward. That's the catalyst they literally for their entire can't, universe. They cannot afford to get rid of it. Like, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with, oh, we care more about Ezra Miller, or, oh, it's because we want to, you know, protect, you know, this awful human being. It has nothing to do with that. It has, it that has they everything have, to do with their fucking bottom line. They potentially have billions of dollars riding on Ezra Miller's frail shoulders because it's not just the flash it's what the flash represents in the larger picture yeah and that's what we have here with new moon it's not just new moon it's what is going to happen when we get finally towards breaking down dawn when we, we have, have a, a we still. have a clip still we have to break the dawn <laughs> we have so many things we have to that sell have so to much done. merch in hot topic yes like there's so many things that have to happen and that's why this movie is such a chaotic mess because it has to lay groundwork for a bunch of stuff to to come which is why it is so weird that we start with this movie with her flying into the wall and getting bloody and then we jump to adrenaline junkie hallucinations and then we jump to weird indigenous cultural appropriation with bad cgi and then we jump to vampire vatican hello to code of fanning then we jump into now suddenly there's this weird semi-religious like cult-like thing going on and it's run by michael michael sheen and the guy who's gonna play vecna and the guy who plays nosferatu in uh, you know are you afraid of the dark and they're weird vampires like there's just so much stuff going on tourists yeah they're gonna eat tourists like there's just all this chaos and then you're gonna go back to forks and edward and jacob are gonna fight and then he's gonna propose they can't fight because it's gonna hurt bella so then edward's gonna propose like there is so much happening because you they had to lay the groundwork for three more movies it's so much happening exhausting it's it's so much happening and yet it's nothing and yet nothing and yet because because all of it can be set up other ways so much of it is a formality yes oh my god yes like this entire movie is a formality and then you have people just like there's so many things that are brought up and then nothing is done with them like my mom wanted me to make scrapbooks so i'm gonna take a couple pictures and then we're just gonna forget about that in 10 minutes she took one picture and then folded herself out of it and then taped edward in it and then he breaks into her room and then takes the picture (laughs) right like there's so and then much we, stuff we never, never do photography again. It's 
never acknowledged like, oh, I'm really into motorcycling now because I want to be able to see Edward and she has her own little like cool rider moment. I want some adrenaline junkie stuff. And then that just flies out the window as well. Or like we had to write about Romeo and Juliet in school because there's going to be like a weird suicide pact kind of thing happening because Edward is going to die without me. Like it's just. If I jump, you jump just like that. And then we have freaking Alice like going through the world with her like flat hair. Like, oh my God. There's, there's this just movies chaos. There's just so many things. And there it is assured that we will continue to do the Twilight movies on this show. You're probably so welcome. Probably once a year. Um, I think we're gonna probably set aside March for sequels every year because we have other ones, especially mm-hmm. from the franchise era. Mm-hmm. We're doing Hunger Games later this month. I look forward to being past New Moon, but I'm scared of how much further we will sink. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you've got, you've got some fun coming your way, babe. You and I have very different definitions <laughs> of fun. I will say, the, the oh my God laugh you made when he's like, marry me, and then it cuts to Kristen Stewart, and she goes, <gasps> and then it cuts to and black. credits. You, like... I have not seen you act like that in a very long time. It was really funny. <laughs> oh my fucking! It, it's like it's like you have the everything of like Empire Strikes Back, where it's like, look at all that we're setting up and all that has happened. Cut to black. Mm-hmm. It sets that up, but for Twilight, but in the most infuriating, nothing happened. Like Empire has stuff that happens. Like speaking of th- speaking of things that will never stop because they Are have you to show you on to their say theme parks. That, that nothing happens in this movie because I distinctly remember seeing Kristen Stewart running through Italy and randomly looking back for no apparent reason when she is completely alone in alleyways, only to then jump on a man in the middle of underneath a, a clock tower as a child looks on because we have to build tension to think somebody might see him and we're doing it through the eyes of a child. That sure was something that I saw. It's a thing. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. That scene, hold on. She tackles him as he's about to reveal his sparkly chest to the world in like a coming out party out of this church. She tackles him so that she covers the sunlight from hitting him directly. And he thinks he has died somehow. I don't know if they, that they, I don't know if the vampires in the Vatican have snipers set up somehow to like. Sniper. He just thinks that he stepped outside and then died like he's an actual vampire who will get hurt by the sunlight. Mm-hmm. So he's just like, ah, yes, I'm in heaven. Edward, bold of you to assume that you are going to heaven. <laughs> Very ambitious, sir. And then she's like, no, you have to step back and get him out of the sunlight. Oh, my goodness. That is that is a lot. Um, I, we, we, before we watched the movie, you put on the Death Cab for Cutie video that is like the big song off this soundtrack. And I was very confused by the imagery that I saw because a lot of it is that climax running up to her, running into his arms. Uh huh. Not a lot of Jacob in that video, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. I needed to make you see me once. You had to know that I was alive. You didn't have to feel guilty about anything. I can let you go now. never acted out of guilt. I just couldn't live in a world where you do exist. You said... I lied. I had to lie. You believed me so easily.
Because it doesn't make sense. If you love me. I'm nothing human. Nothing. You're everything to me. You're everything. What would you say if I told you that when the new moon trailer was in theaters, they had kind of the slow-mo shot of him taking off that robe and revealing him being shirtless, Mm. that in multiple theaters, women would break out screaming? I mean, I get it. (laughs) They, they they (laughs) They are enthralled by the idea, and he is hunky and appealing enough to push you over the fact that he looks like he is dying. <laughs> I get it. I'm not I'm not criticizing the taste. I'm criticizing everything else. Well, Harmony, <laughs> I think the time has come. Oh dear. Twilight New Moon is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Or as we invented with our Twilight episode, are you buying it a ticket so that she can go on her own? This is a bad movie. As mm-hmm. a movie, mm-hmm. like I have issues with it morally. Um, I, I have issues with it from an entertainment aspect. It it feels wrong to look at it. Like maybe this works better as a book. Maybe all this exposition and setup works better as a book because they do like to tease you and just have long s- descriptive things of, of, of vibes and energy. Like that's Stephanie Meyer's whole thing. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. No? no. The book's just as it's bad? It's bad. <laughs> okay. I've, I've tried really hard to be generous in this whole episode considering that I had to pause and then pace around several times while we were watching this. <laughs> Can confirm. Like hands on hips. Like I am just like ate some spicy food. I'm just going like <sighs> <sighs> and just had to like walk it off. It's a No. I figured. (laughs) I was very kind to the first one, which is, I wouldn't say I enjoy. It also feels too long. This one feels way too long and less happens. And it has a worse arc as a film. Just not, not a fan, not doing it for me. I do appreciate the Twilight franchise for giving us our send it on its own qualifier. This film is not getting it. I didn't think it would. That's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. I, I know you knew where I was standing on this going in. Uh, I opened this episode screaming. <laughs> Alrighty. I will, I will, I will spare you the continued misery. We are done talking about Twilight New Moon. As always, friends, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Sense at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and sometimes TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out inspired by Twilight New Moon? So I wanted to find something that was very like acoustic and somber, but the thing is, if you have a person who just consistently puts out like somber, depressed, looking out the window for months kind of music, it just it gets real samey and droll. But the band I'm going to shout out this time is a collective called String Machine and their album Hallelujah Hell Yeah. Oh, amazing. They uh, incorporate a, like a kaleidoscope of instruments where there are strings and there's horns and multiple different singers. And basically they write sad stuff. But with at least like a tinge of optimism, like there's a tinge of of, of, of sunlight that Bella could desperately need in her life. <laughs> um, I think all of their stuff is 
quite spectacular, though Touring in January and Gale of Worry is probably my favorite songs on this album. But like the whole thing is is quite magnificent for for someone who wants maybe like folkier Beck mixed with like some flaming lips or like pseudo neutral milk hotel vibes. Nice. Yeah, no, they're they're they're, they're tight. Big fan of this album. Awesome. Alrighty, we will see you next week with yet another sequel. Don't forget to save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. It's not too much to ask. Can you just promise me something? Don't do anything reckless. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.